You know that line we, we just sang uh, at the end of that last song, soon in glory, bright unclouded, we'll sing praises heavenly. What a friend is Jesus, his forever, or in other words, we're in Christ, his forever, eternally. You know, that coupled with that assurance we were reminded of, to, to have life with Christ, to really live as brothers and sisters of Jesus in the kingdom of God. You know, think about that. That's an incredible thought, to be called brothers and sisters, friends of Jesus, co-heirs with Jesus, the Savior of the world. That means we have access to God, that God does not shut himself off, that he doesn't say, you're on your own, that, that we actually get all of God. We have unlimited access to Him, not some limited supply of, of God where He chooses to just give us Himself in, in doses, but that's just what we sang. We, we may not see it fully yet. We may not understand it completely yet, but we get God because of Jesus and because of the Holy Spirit, because the Son has, has done the work to reconcile us and because the Spirit testifies in the heart of God's children, in the hearts of God's children, this incredible truth. Right, everyone? That's good news again this week, right? So, we're going to uh, think about this as we prepare to read our text in Acts 19 this morning. Jump back with me in the Old Testament. You may remember Moses, a pretty famous character in the Bible. Uh, and this is, this is the second time if we're looking in the book of Exodus, that, that Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai. Uh, he, he went up there because the first time, the stone tablets that God gives him, the law, he comes down, he finds this golden calf that has been made, and in anger, righteous anger, he throws the tablets down, they break. Well, this is the second time he's spending 40 days and nights, this is in Exodus 34, and he writes down the Ten Commandments on those tablets that God asked him to cut out of stone. And this is when he returns. This is what Scripture says. It says that, that he came down with a radiant face. And then the Apostle Paul, now in the New Testament, picks this back up. And the Apostle Paul is who we're going to be seeing here in Acts 19. But the Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians Hear this, this is from 2 Corinthians 3, and he speaks of a permanent hope like this. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. In other words, referring to that radiant face they couldn't look upon, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. That's from 2 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 18. 
So to bring this together before we jump in our text this morning, to be friends or more so brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ, to be forever transformed by Jesus Christ is to be given the Spirit. And what does it say? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is freedom. And by the Spirit, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Probably one of the least talked about persons of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, or at least in some circles. We get fearful. We haven't seen the Spirit. What is the Spirit really about? What's the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, Acts 19 is going to give us more. As we've been in the book of Acts, we see that really this is about the acts of Jesus through the power or through the work of the Holy Spirit through the apostles of Jesus. And so now, in Acts 19 this morning, there's much written on the work of the promise, Holy Spirit, by Jesus. So let's, let's see what's going on there. Uh, you know, another thing, just as we get ready to read this text, if we think about the, the Holy Spirit in this way, don't we often treat Him like He's more of a, a power than an actual person? Sometimes we speak about the Holy Spirit and His work, and it's kind of like, Oh, yeah, that's just, that's just some work there, and he'll do this thing, and he'll show up here. The Holy Spirit has always been, the Trinitarian God has always been. There's this beautiful mutual indwelling of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They've created the world together. The Spirit is shown in the Old Testament all the way up to now in the New Testament. And now we remember even today the Spirit lives in the believer's heart, indwells the people of God. So... Here we go. We're about to jump in Acts 19 this morning. Would you turn there with me and hear the word of the Lord? We're going to read verses 1 through 20 in Acts 19 this morning. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation... He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Continuing on in verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even Handkerchiefs and aprons that he touched that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then 
some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practice. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is the word of the Lord and we respond together. Thanks be to God. Lord, our prayer this morning as we read your word, we, we come to it not just wanting to treat it like a Bible study. We don't want to make this just another time when we just learn some facts about the Holy Spirit or the work that you've done. Those things are important, but we want this to be a, another time again where we are truly being transformed by, by the Spirit illuminating our hearts, by the Spirit who indwells us to work on us, sending us out to proclaim the good news of Jesus, sending us out to live obediently. Help us again today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray together. Amen. Hey, that's, that's a lot going on in that text. All right, what do we do with all that? Well, let's do this. This is kind of my MO. I think it's always helpful to just back up a little bit. If you were here with us last week, you heard of in, at the end of Acts chapter 18, this guy named Apollos, well, he had encountered the same type of discussion. What is this baptism of John about? So in, in, at the end of Acts 18, Luke, the author of Acts, introduces this Jewish man, Apollos. He actually is in Ephesus at the time. What's he described as? He's described as eloquent, competent in the scriptures, instructed in, instructed in the way of the Lord, fervent in spirit, someone who taught accurately the things of Jesus, but he only knew the baptism of John. In other words, he knew about the preparatory baptism given by John the Baptist. In other words, when John the Baptist would declare, prepare the way of the Lord, he's coming, he's here, but he didn't have the full scope and view. Apollos did not have the full scope and view. So our friends Priscilla and Aquila, what do they do? They take him and explain the way of God more accurately, as verse 26 will tell us in Acts 16. And then Apollos goes on to help other believers as well, as powerfully refute the Jews, showing by Scripture that Christ was Jesus. Well, we're back to the baptism of John, this idea. What, what is this about? So Acts 19 begins... And Apollos had been in Ephesus, now he's in Corinth, 
And Paul, who was in Corinth, is now in Ephesus. So they have switched places. Ephesus back in view. The first thing, remember two Sundays ago, this is interesting, just thinking about Paul's story here. We were in Acts 18, the middle of there, and, and in verse 21, Paul had encountered a group of Ephesian Jews who wanted him to stay longer. Would you, would you stay with us, continue on, and what's his response? It's not, you've got the wrong number, I'll get back to you later. It's, he declined and said, I will return to you if God wills. Well, here we go. God willed. He's back. And of course, then what happens? Paul, Paul finds some disciples and begins to speak with them in verses 2 through 4. So we'll read that again. Verses 2 through 4 in Acts 19. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And those disciples of John the Baptist respond, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he, Paul, said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. So as we heard last week, if you were here, in Acts 18, that reference to John's baptism, it was a baptism of repentance. What does that mean? Well, it was a, a preparation for transformation. In other words, repentance is something where we come to grips with, with the charge of guilt. It's coming to acknowledge, I have been charged guilty. I understand that I am a sinner against a holy, overwhelming, covenant-keeping God. But John the Baptist, this is how he would say this. If you want to, you can turn with me to Matthew 3. And I know we'll be turning a little bit, so there may be just some moments where you want to listen to this. But we're in Matthew 3 for a moment to be reminded of what John the Baptist acknowledged about baptism. This is Matthew 3, verse 11. Paul picked up this same language, right, in Acts 19. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Matthew's gospel happens to be the only one that, that uses that extra language of fire. This idea of Jesus baptizing with the Holy Spirit and fire, what is going on here? Well, these disciples of John the Baptist that Paul encounters in Ephesus, they probably remembered well those words of John the Baptist. They just didn't know, as they said, that the Holy Spirit had actually been poured out. Had Jesus really baptized with the Spirit? Has that really happened? They don't understand this. We've not heard that there's even a Holy Spirit, or we've not heard that He's come. We can imagine it's not like the Holy Spirit was foreign to these individuals. The Holy Spirit is used all the way from the Old Testament. What's the language of the Holy Spirit in Genesis? What is the Holy Spirit doing? Hovering over the waters. What does the Holy Spirit do for the people of God? Well, He dwells in the tabernacle as the people of God would come to the temple or the tabernacle, the Holy Spirit would be dwelling there. But then we see in the New Testament this idea of the new covenant, the Holy Spirit is no longer dwelling in a tabernacle, but actually indwells the people of God, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So this is this language. Paul's getting to the fact of, you know Jesus 
You just don't know that you've been united to him. You don't know what the Spirit has done. Listen, here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on the church, and the church is now extending beyond the boundaries of, of what you realize. The church of Jesus Christ is actually becoming a foundational church. And Jesus, the one to come after John, uh, they, they recognized this. But they didn't see that this was about to be so much more than confessing sin, these disciples. This was about transformation, or better put, regeneration, a work that only the Holy Spirit can do. You know, maybe we pause here and think about that word for a second. There are these two words that we, we can use sometimes. We talk about conversion, and we talk about regeneration. Well, conversion is, is one thing. It involves the, the sinner in repentance, turning to God by faith in Jesus, right? To, to convert is to, to turn away. We use that sometimes synonymously with repentance, to acknowledge sin and to turn away from it and turn to what can rescue us or who can rescue us from sin, that being Jesus Christ. But would we do that if we were not first regenerated? Would we do that of on our own accord? Would we recognize what sin truly is? Well, we recognize morality, we recognize ethical things. Any of us in this room, any of us in this neighborhood, apart from Jesus, recognize there's right and wrong. There are good things, there are bad things, there are wrong ways to treat people. But the truth is sometimes, the truth is not sometimes, but apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we don't recognize what our sin is against a holy God. We just recognize some behavioral things. And so this is what Paul begins to get at in regeneration, or another word used in Scripture is to be born again. You know, Jesus spoke those words to Nicodemus. That's in John 3. And I'll just paraphrase the conversation he has with Nicodemus because Nicodemus is wanting to ask Jesus a question about what is this life really mean? What does it mean to follow you? And, and Jesus uses this really interesting language of being born, born again. And you can imagine to a Jewish man in that day going, wait, I've already been born. I was, my mom gave birth to me. How am I going to be born again? And Jesus says, it's one thing to be born in the flesh like a, a baby, Everyone's born in that way. It's another to be born of the Spirit. And here's this idea, the difference between conversion and regeneration. These disciples of John the Baptist are wanting to be converted. They're saying, we, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We want to follow the way. They don't understand that the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit has not come into their heart and regenerated them. Very interesting stuff going on. So Jesus had already promised his disciples that the Spirit would come, uh, that, that, he, that, that if he did not go away, the, sp the Helper would not come. That's in John 16. To, to elaborate more, the beginning of Acts before Christ's ascension, we'll just go all the way back to Acts chapter 1. In Acts 1-5, Jesus says, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And this was in reference to what would take place on the day of Pentecost, as we see in Acts 2. So these disciples of John the Baptist now, back in Acts 19, apparently had not heard about this outpouring, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit. 
they didn't know what John the Baptist had said had actually been fulfilled in Jesus now. In other words, the gospel of Jesus is doing exactly what Jesus said, spreading from Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and now continued to the ends of the earth. So there's this foundation beginning when Jesus says, my church will extend from Jerusalem and all Judea into Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These guys didn't recognize that was happening. They're hearing it. The church is continuing to the ends of the earth here in Ephesus in this region of Asia. So think about this. I know we're jumping back and forth, like I said before, but Let's, let's go back for a second here when Jesus first calls the 12 disciples. This is in Matthew 10. Maybe you just want to listen to this. He tells them, beginning in verse 5, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, that's interesting, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying... The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus says, start with the Jews, the house of Israel. It sounds sort of familiar, right? First to the Jews and now to the Greek, right? The gospel is extending, but Jesus in his plan, God in his all-powerful wisdom says, I'm going to start with my people, my covenant people, Israel, and I'm going to extend from there first to the Jews and then to the Greek. And then the response of the disciples back in Acts 19 again now. On hearing Paul's instruction, this is verse 5 of Acts 19. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we see this kingdom of God extending. So baptism has become about being a part of the family of Jesus rather than an Old Testament longing for Jesus. Paul then lays his hands on him. And then verse 6, and the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying about 12 in all. Now here's the deal. In order to, to understand why is this happening? Why are we seeing this pattern of the Holy Spirit? We've got to understand the full scope. We've got to understand what does God's Word have to say about the role of the Holy Spirit? Well, there were many prophecies given about the Messiah coming. We have many texts that we can go to the, of the promised Messiah. Isaiah would weave one prophet that would show us that. The Psalms would show us a suffering servant that would come. You know, we would continue on to see this promised one. We would, we would hear the prophecy about John the Baptist coming and saying, prepare the way of the Lord. But the prophets would also speak about the Spirit being poured out. In other words, God's covenant people, Old Testament Israel, one day the Spirit is going to be poured out on you all. And my church will extend from you all. You will be a blessing to the nations in a way that you haven't realized before. A few places you can go, maybe during the week, is look into Ezekiel chapter uh, 36 and chapter 39. Or, or go to Joel chapter 2. All this language of, I will pour, my, I will pour out my spirit. What's the role of the Holy Spirit? What's the point of the spirit being poured out? Well, there's a few things to remember. The spirit has been a, a, an agent to convict, right? 
If we think about the role of the Spirit in our own lives, the Spirit convicts us when we come to God's Word, when we hear it proclaimed, convicts us of the sin exposed by God's Word, convicts us to turn back again to Jesus, right? The Spirit is a guide. The Spirit guided Israel in their wanderings. As the Lord led them, the Spirit leads them. The Spirit is the one who promises us over and over of who we are in Christ. The Spirit is the one who has been this guarantee of our inheritance in Christ, as the book of Ephesians would tell us. So now the disciples of John the Baptist, Paul has proclaimed this to them. They respond and say, we want to, we want to follow. We want to receive this. It's interesting. Maybe we pause here uh, because I think about how these disciples respond. What does this mean for us today? You know, they could have responded in, hey, listen, we're just trying to be sincere. We're just trying to be authentic, genuine. We've been given the law, right? That's what this, this has been about for us as, as Jews. We've been given the law. We've been given a way to follow. We've, we've heard prepare the way of the Lord, but we're just trying to be obedient. We're just trying to be sincere, and if we're like them in the same way, what if we just responded with, I'm just trying to be sincere. I'm just trying to live my life. I'm just trying to be authentic. And to understand that sincerity is not truly what cuts it. Sincerity, just being a law abider is not the only thing. It's, it's actually the opposite. It's God takes us in our complete insincerity, in our unholiness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, once again, regenerates us. So that in our sincerity to obey, we actually obey rightly. We actually follow obediently. To be baptized with the Spirit is to be made alive, to be given a a new birth. So let's continue on. This is where things get interesting because there's a lot in this text, right? We're we're supposed to receive a, a second baptism. Why is this here? Why is Luke giving us this? We've talked a lot about baptism here at Church in the Square. This is confusing now. What's going on? Well, the foundation of the church, the promised Holy Spirit by Jesus Christ, here, here's some, some background for us. There, there'd be a, a whole separate message if we spent all of our time around the idea of baptism in the Spirit, but, but at least to, to jump in, we're reminding or we're remembering that Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit would empower His people, that there would be unique things to happen to bear witness. And so now when we look at events like Pentecost, where the Spirit falls on people and there are actually languages interpreted, where people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in clarity in their own language, This is a unique event that the Lord is using to bear witness. I'm real. I'm really doing this thing. What I promised is coming to pass. It's beginning in Jerusalem. And then it moves on, right, to Samaria. We see another, uh, an an Ethiopian eunuch, Philip, Philip encounters, proclaims the gospel to. And then here's the work of the Spirit. What's so unique about that is the Spirit carries Philip off. What's that about? the work of the Spirit to empower His people. And then it's continuing on in Caesarea. That would be a region of Judea. So we've gone from Jerusalem, Judea. We've gone to Samaria, right? 
We've seen these different things happen. Cornelius in Caesarea, what happens? The Spirit falls on them. This is a witness-bearing thing. God is doing His thing, and you can trust that the church is truly being extended. So, going back to this idea of, of baptism in the Spirit, what is that about? Well, this is where some get a view of, of becoming a Christian involves two major events, right? This would be a view often found in the Pentecostal or charismatic church that, that salvation is first, and then there's a second baptism. There's your water baptism, and then there's a baptism of the Spirit where one is supposed to manifest the, the gift of the Spirit, usually speaking in tongues. But here's the thing. If we just look at the whole scope of Scripture, we're really wrong to assume that that's what's going on here. We, we can't just pull what happened in Acts and, and make it an experiential thing for, for all of God's people for today. Remember, this is, this is the foundation of the church, right? The Spirit is the promised Spirit to provide a foundation of God's church extending across the globe to the ends of the earth, spreading the gospel of Jesus. And so these events that we're seeing here... If we begin to view them and go, well, that's what I'm supposed to have. That's how I'm supposed to be able to be gifted. That's what I'm supposed to do. One, I think we're beginning to manipulate who God is, right? The Spirit gifts and equips people in unique ways, and we don't want to devalue that. But the truth is, if we're trying to manifest or conjure up something... It's just not how God works. That's not how it's happening here. And God used these incredible events that we've particularly seen here to show that His Son is truly the Messiah. Uh, Notice also these events weren't private events. They weren't individual things. They were always public displays. They were extremely visible. Beginning in Jerusalem, as said before, we see uh, Pentecost in Acts 2. In Judea, particularly Caesarea, This is in Acts 10. This is where the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and people were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. First to the Jews, then to the Greek, the Gentiles. And then into Samaria, Philip proclaims Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch, and then is carried away by the Spirit, and then to the ends of the earth, Cornelius, uh, family with with Peter, they're, they're... They're now being baptized in the Spirit, and now these individuals we're encountering here, these disciples of John the Baptist in Asia, these groups of people that that Christ go make disciples and baptize are becoming the family of God through the work of Jesus, now indwelt with the Holy Spirit. This is why we hear Paul say in the the very next verse, let's continue on to verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading him about what? About the kingdom of God. This is this idea of God's kingdom is here now and the Spirit is the one who is extending it through the work of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. This beautiful Trinitarian thing comes back into view, right? This is from the Father. The Father plans from the Father it's through the work of Jesus Christ, and then it's 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this beautiful work together of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a few other places we can go as reminders. Paul's letter to the Romans tells us more about the, the Spirit being indwelt with the Spirit and what that has to do with the kingdom of God. Hear this from Romans 8 for a second here. Paul addresses the church in Rome reminding that, that you're not in flesh but in the Spirit, when you receive the Spirit, when you've been baptized by the Spirit, in other words, this is verse 9 of, Acts, of, of Romans 8. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We'll jump up here to verse 15, same chapter of Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, the spirit indwelling as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself, what? Bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This beautiful work of the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Trinity, say the Spirit wants to give glory or wants to acknowledge the glory of Jesus Christ, His cross, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, His promised return. And the Father wanted to give or expose the glory of the Son and his, his humility, His obedience to the Father. And the Father and the Son sending the Spirit in this way to empower the church to bear witness, to testify, to extol the name of Jesus Christ. So Paul comes back in Acts 19. This is why he's reasoning and persuading them in the synagogue for three months boldly about what? The kingdom of God. Let's continue on. The kingdom of God. Here's what Paul was getting at. Even with those disciples of John and now the folks at the synagogue, Jesus has come and you can know him. What has been foretold, promised, it's happened. And the kingdom is here. It's not get ready, it's coming. It's established. It's here. There's this already but not yet. The kingdom is here, but it's not fully realized until we're face to face with Jesus. So the declaration when we say the kingdom of God, it's Christ has come, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. You can be dwelt and empowered with the Spirit of God to acknowledge full glory of the Son who loves to acknowledge the glory of His Father. Let's continue on here in verse 9. Of Acts 19. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he, Paul, withdrew from them and took those disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And then it continues from there. 
all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So there are some who go, listen, I'm not following this. I'm going to remain this type of person. I'm not following this. But Paul, moving on, reasons in the hall of Tyrannus, this continued for two years. And the beautiful thing, the Spirit's work, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now it gets a little wilder here. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. This is in verse 11. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Continuing on, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the power, by, by the Jesus who Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Notice how this thing's coming together. We have moved from disciples who are baptized in the Spirit all the way to other types of disciples who go, I want to manipulate the Spirit. I want to use it. I want to conjure it up. Look at the juxtaposition there. Look at the difference there. We don't conjure the Spirit. And look at the danger in it. It's God's initiative through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to call His children. We see that with those disciples of John the Baptist. The Father gets excited about giving the Son glory. And the Son gets excited about giving the glory to the Father. And the Spirit gets excited about showing the world the Son exalted and reigning on the throne next to the Father, the kingdom of God. But without being regenerated or being born again, to borrow Jesus' words when we read earlier from John 3, we're hopeless. We're chasing after little kingdoms, not the kingdom of God. And Without the Spirit of God indwelling the people of God, we'll be like the sons of Siva in the face of the evil spirit saying, you're unrecognizable. You see, we're, we're not talking about recognition like they were seeking. That's really interesting here. We're, we're talking about being recognized as sons and daughters of God, right? What we read earlier in Romans 8. So the sons of Siva, in their pursuit of being God-like, the Lord used them as an example to show His glory and continue the Spirit's work to extend the church of Jesus across the globe. So let, let's think about that idea of being recognized. You know, for us today, are we understanding what it means to be recognized by God? Or are we pursuing what it looks like or what we think it should look like to be recognizable? What does that look like in your own life? You know, as we continue to ask that question of ourselves and have the Word expose that, what does that look like? to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit and furthermore be kept by the Holy Spirit, to be called children of God because of the power of the Holy Spirit, 
to be called co-heirs with Jesus, sons and daughters of God and brothers and sisters with Jesus because of the Holy Spirit's regenerative work. What a phenomenal thing to, to think about here. That's being recognizable. God recognizing us as sons and daughters of God versus I want to manipulate something. I want to make this work so that I can be recognized. And it continues on. Even as believers, how often do we practice our own pursuit of power? We see something we consider extraordinary and we desire recognition. This is how it continues. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, this act that had taken place both Jews and Greeks, and what happens? Fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. You see, when the Spirit comes to work on us, the continuing work only the Spirit can do, we come confessing and divulging. We get exposed and we're able to step in with freedom. That's that idea. When we hear where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's that beautiful idea Paul's getting at of freedom. We have been given, when we're baptized in the Spirit, given the Holy Spirit to indwell us as the people of God, we're now free to divulge those things. We're now no longer pursuing recognition, or when we do try to pursue that, we get to look back conviction of the Holy Spirit and go, I don't need that. That's not my identity in Christ. That's not being obedient. That's not extolling and acknowledging the fame of Jesus Christ. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts did what? They brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. Here's what we're not talking about. If you grew up maybe like I did, Maybe you had a bonfire at your church and you had to burn all your secular CDs. We're not talking about getting rid of good gifts from God, all right? Keep good music in your library. Please listen to it. But here's the thing. The things that go against God, the things that the Lord has spoken against in His Word, in other words, when you're trying to be God-like, when you're trying to use even good things I've given you to try to be like me, those are the things I want to burn away. It's interesting if we go back to Matthew, when we talked about John the Baptist's words, you know, earlier I shared with us, that's the only place where we see this language of Jesus comes to baptize with the Spirit into fire. And there's something beautiful in that language. When the Holy Spirit indwells the people of God, there's a purifying work. He burns away the dross, the things that need to be refined. That is the work of the continued work of the Spirit in our lives so that we can be like the people, although it may not be magic arts or the occult, that we come together before the Lord and we say, you got to burn this stuff away. And we do it in the sight of all. We do it because we're bearing witness once again that the Spirit is at work, that the Spirit is truly who he says he is. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have worked together to continue the work of the gospel across the globe. It's interesting. They counted the value of them. All these things they brought before this fire and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. The language there of a drachma 
these pieces, that was one of those was one day's wage. Can you imagine 50,000? That's a lot of money. So people are coming and saying, the Spirit has regenerated me. I don't need this stuff. He has changed my heart. And so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is incredible. We started with the language of John's baptism to the baptism of the Spirit given by Jesus. When Jesus baptized with the Spirit, we're one, we're convicted to pursue holiness instead of our desires. Two, we're being transformed to walk in obedience to the Word. That language, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. This idea of being sanctified progressively. We go through these cycles of sin, repentance, forgiveness, renewal, this work of the Spirit in our lives. And then once again, we come back to this beautiful picture of the Godhead, the, the, the Trinity. This language, why we, we use the word triune, three in one, tri being three, un being one, this this beautiful picture. Would you turn with me? We've been in Acts 19 for a bit, but I want to ask us to turn to John chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 6. These are Jesus' words. Verse 6, John chapter 14. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then in verse 10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then continuing in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and this is, this is where the Spirit comes on the scene, and he will give you another helper to be with you What? Forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. This idea of of the gift of the Holy Spirit, not so that we can perform things, but that we can bear witness to what only God can perform. There's a lot that could be said when this text of, well, what does that mean about people doing things in the name of Jesus? What does that mean about signs and wonders? Do those things continue today? That's probably a conversation for another time, and it's a valuable conversation that maybe ought to come up in your groups this week. But we come back to the main idea here, is that the power of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the people of God, 
And without the Holy Spirit, we are not truly a people of God. In other words, if we leave him out, the gospel is not complete. If we leave him out, the Godhead is not complete. So come back again today to this beautiful story of our triune God, the Father exposing the glory of the Son, the Son exposing the glory of the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son sending the Spirit to expose the glory of the Son and of the Father.